Welcome to Impact Unicorns, the podcast where you meet inspirational entrepreneurs building the next generation of transformative companies. And now, here is your host, Dr. Injernil Ghosh, award-winning author, investor, and advisor to global leaders. Hello, Javier, and welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm very well, Linda. Thank you. Very excited to speak with you today. Well, I've been really looking forward to this episode as well, because in this show, we like to talk about the impact entrepreneur as well as the unicorn business that they're building. And in your case, we have amazing stories to cover on both fronts. Um, like many of our entrepreneurs on the show, you have a very interesting and broad background. Um, you've been an industrial engineer, a university professor, president of an energy solutions division in a global company, and you've worked all around the world. And now you've brought these skills to bear in Highview Power, which is a high growth company transforming the field of long duration energy storage. And it has all the hallmarks of becoming a unicorn. Maybe we could start by you telling us a little bit about the journey of Javier Cavada and how you came to be at the helm of Highview Power. Tell us a little bit about your uh, personal story. Absolutely. No, thank you, Daniel. I mean, and I tell you that we we already feel that we are riding a, a big unicorn here at, uh, at Highview. So that unicorn is just getting bigger and bigger. But uh, as you said, I'm mechanical engineer, an industrial engineer, and I, I like to describe myself in a, in a humble way as I have been in most of my career in a Finnish company. And, you know, Finland is, is well known for its... Uh, uh, honesty and, and humbleness and hardworking and, and well as a mechanical engineer if in a city called Santander very well known from the bank but very tiny uh, almost beach resort in the north of Spain so I, I had I can tell you when I was probably 25 I had uh, I had the dream life in a way I have a wonderful family I was the factory director of a global company running a factory in my hometown I was a university professor Everything was extremely successful, good in the university, good at business, good at family life. And, and, and well, I was running the business, uh, growing a bit internationally, but a bit internationally was meaning uh, going to Germany, going to the US, uh, maybe going to Japan, in and out. And until it came, for me, came the change, came a life-changing experience was that I was called from the management of the of this global Finnish company from Barcelona, they, they, they contacted me from Helsinki and said, Javier, we're looking for somebody of your profile to be running our Chinese business and, and the joint ventures we have there. And, and well, I, I mean, again, pretty humble person, probably quite innocent and naive. Uh, I was thinking, okay, let me think about whom I will think about names to, to bring to you. Until five minutes later, say, oh, God damn, I mean, they, they are asking me to go to China in, a, in an indirect way. And I said, are they crazy? I have never been there. I really don't know anything about the Chinese way of doing business. And, you know, I mean, I went two weeks to China to analyze, to make a field trip, to understand the, the challenge scale. And, well, I, I, got, I, got making, I got a switch in my brain. Like, this is incredible. I tell you, it was early early 2008 so you know it was before the big crisis we didn't at least i didn't know anything was happening or coming and in europe we were really going down i mean shifting reducing people laying off uh, moving production to asia to far east 
And then I came into China, which was hiding people, building, growing, conquering, conquesting, invading, uh, growth, 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 ambition, ambition, uh, well, cannibalism, I would say, for business. And well, I, I went for one year, I stayed two years, then three years, then four years, and well, after five years in China, uh, I, I tell you, I was a totally different person. And, and since then, uh, they, they ignited into me the, the growth-driven ambition uh, that took to me many years still at, at Barcelona when I became the vice president of, uh, of the services business and then I became the president of the energy business. So 75 gigawatts of installed base, 170 countries, I think it was most of the planet, so very global, very global business. And that took me to live in Helsinki, which I can tell you also is a, is a fantastic country, fantastic city, fantastic laboratory of how to focus and concentrate at work because, uh, you know, six months, and I'm being very generous, six months of the year, you can do nothing else than working or staying inside. And, and in those years, I can take a bit of merit together with my team of revo revolutionizing the company, a company of close to 200 years of history. We moved it into renewables. We took the a gas fire engine company. We took it to couple the engines with solar, with wind. We acquired a battery business. We started to become a system integrator, full EPC, from electronics to batteries, to engines, to solar in all the continents. So it was an amazing journey until one day uh, in those these small acquisitions, organic growth, it came to me an opportunity, which was uh, to invest into Highview and potentially acquire what well, I was thinking in acquiring Highview from, from Barcelona. And, and during the due diligence, I, I mean, I got the second switch, but that's okay. Definitely, I'm not going to be acquiring this company from Barcelona. I'm going to make sure this company acquires me and uh, we start to do at Highview, uh, but becoming the CEO, we start to do what I would have done if I would have acquired the company with a big balance sheet in, in like Barcelona. And that yeah. happened in early 2018. And, and well, I we will speak about it, but uh, a lot of music, a lot of rock and roll, and a lot of fun really, really making a big, big impact in the industry. Let me just pause here because it's, it is a fascinating story. And the, the theme that seems to run through it is this love uh, of disruption, this love of doing something completely different and being attracted to that. Sometimes, you know, simply going and living in another country can feel overwhelming for a lot of people because of the cultural change, being away from family, you know, even getting a TV license is a completely different process. Um, so the fact that, you know, it seems every five years you go to a completely different environment, different country, different set of rules. And in the case of China, it's a country itself that was within in disruption in 2008. There was a period of, of massive change, uh, massive opportunity. Um, but the whole system, uh, the country, the social structure, the regulatory, the business, everything was in flux. Um, so it, it reminds me a lot of, you know, my time at Mubadala uh, in Abu Dhabi, when around the same time, you know, there was this vision 2030 and the early stages of rebuilding a nation to be fit for the future and a sustainable future at that. And then you go to, you know, Finland is, is quite uh, different, but yet also at a disruptive situation 
uh, in, in Vartsava, sort of transforming this company for the sustainable age, and now Highview Power. Is there something in you that you do, you're seeking this uh, sort of new challenge, you know, the, the opportunity to completely disrupt something and change the world? And what do you think drives that within you? Because, uh, like I said, um, for a lot of people, just moving to a, another country and figuring out how to get a TV license is quite daunting. So you know, changing a company, changing a country, uh, changing an industry, these, these are lofty goals. No, th thank you for that, Daniel. But indeed, uh, you have a pretty fascinating uh, background yourself and journey, which uh, we have uh, many touch points there. I mean, I tell you this morning, this early morning, I was talking with a friend of mine from China from those from those years. Probably I was working with her 12 years ago, Lina Lee, it's an amazing star at Barcelona, and we were talking really about uh, a little bit on that line of how important is impact and how important is change uh, for us. I mean, and, and I tell you that I really, I mean, I, I, tell, you, I tell you a small anecdote. Uh, when when I was I was meeting something 20, early 2018, I was meeting my parents in Spain and I was visiting and I told them, okay, please take a seat and just, uh, you, you, I need to tell you something. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm this amount of years in Helsinki already. And then my father said, oh damn, you're already gonna move again out of Finland to something even more interesting. So it's, a, it's the necessity of when things are already running uh, steadily and, and the, let's say achievements have been reached and, and milestones are already becoming from a disruption to a business as usual. I, I personally have the necessity, the complete necessity, and that's, that's a personal limitation. I know that uh, I need to jump to the next uh, difficulty and I need to really make sure that uh, that life is uh, squeezed as much as I can in terms of getting impact, impact in the business, but impacting people and getting extremely interesting people and amazing people next to me. That's uh, what has been driving me all the career. So I, I really can tell you that in this last month, I'm probably have been talking with people who were at my early years in the Spanish factory, at my Chinese years, at the Finnish years, and of course with uh, London Times, I'm talking every every day for obvious reasons. But there's that necessity of of doing something difficult, challenging, but extremely fulfilling. That's uh, that's definitely driving me, and I and I see many people in this kind of uh, role that have that ambition. So mm. become, becoming part of a steady system or stable system. It's definitely not for us. Uh, this is not for me. Now, there is a, a topic around timing that is important for people like yourself, I would imagine, because, you know, if you had dropped into China in 1998 versus 2008, or maybe Vatsala, you know, 10 years before you did, maybe the conditions weren't so ripe for the kind of disruption and it would have been, you know, frustrating uh, that change wasn't happening uh, at the speed and in the way that uh, you would have liked. So is there an art to identifying, you know, when is the right time, when when the system is ready for change, and that's when you drop in? Do you go through some sort of a, uh, a checklist or a mental process to say, you know, it's Vartzilla 2015, it's Highview 2018, it's the right time to, to drop in because the the forces are aligned for change and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a situation that needs me. 
Uh, thank you, thank you for that question, in Daniel. I mean, you you know me well enough uh, to to know that I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that no clue. I mean, it has been uh, it, there has been no science uh, that you could say I could of course claim. Okay, look at how clever this person is. It was really designing, identifying, making it work year after year. But of course, uh, not knowing all the details because that's impossible. Not really knowing the future. I mean any crystal ball, there are really signs. There are signs of uh, markets being uh, entering into flat phase or entering into a decline phase, and especially seeing the opportunities, seeing the opportunities early enough, uh, but but uh, something I like to highlight, not too early enough. I mean, it's, uh, I, I cannot claim that I came to something, as you said, 10 years before it ignited, because I, I can tell you those 10 years would have been pretty miserable for me. I mean, I could not come and, and start from, let's create all the way for the coming decade to be sure that we are at the launching point. So so I really, I'm really thrilled by coming before the launching mode and, and be ready to engineer down what the details need to be in place to launch perfectly safely and successfully. And once the launch is happening, the rocket is already in the outer space uh, itinerary is in its way and it's stable and everybody looks to be safe really and, and I like to say that's a journey of of those three five whatever ten years then it's probably time for me to okay so automatic mode and and let me let me land in this other planet and I mean a bit a bit over exaggerating here but uh, to to your question Definitely, definitely no there is not a a, a method a theory that uh, that I'm applying, but I can say when you look at it a bit with perspective, uh, you can coincide with me that it was really quite obvious. I mean, you said okay, this everybody knew, but there is uh, there is a difference between some people who who see it coming and wish that it will take longer, and there is people who see it coming and just uh, make sure they join the thing that is coming or make sure that that thing coming becomes really big. Absolutely. So it is a, a combination of uh, intention and serendipity, but uh, that's the, the way of success. Um, tell us a little bit about Highview. It seems to be a rocket that's off the launch pad. It's uh, certainly jetting into the stratosphere and beyond. But in layman's terms, can you tell us a little bit about what Highview Power is trying to do? What is this mysterious field of energy storage and why is you know storing energy for longer durations, which is Highview's mantra? Why is that important? Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks again. I mean, definitely, it relates to the previous question. I mean, this nobody in the industry didn't see this coming. I mean, the need of huge amounts of energy being deployed, being generated, with uh, growing and growing sources of intermittency and unreliability like wind and solar. So wind and solar are coming and coming, they're getting bigger, bigger. I mean, there are some moves that uh, say, okay, we can really inject a small amounts of storage here and there and we will solve it. Solve it. Everybody with a bit of common sense knows uh, that you need a chunky amount of storage, 24-7 amount of storage that enables you to really store all the excess of generation and be able to deploy it into the grid to the consumers when there is not enough generation. So super obvious. The thing is that uh, we we can look at some technologies that are well known uh, that that can give you one hour, three hours, two hours, thirty minutes. No, no, but 
long duration storage is about making so that the 24 hour cycle is covered. So you can really move even power from one day to another or to from one day to several days later. So and, and hydro power uh, is by far, I would say, the, the leading company, the leading platform, the leading movement of long duration energy storage. Because we have developed a technology that, again, as a mechanical engineer, is pretty simple. Uh, we call it many times a pump hider in, in a box, because pump hider everybody knows. And what we do is just take the air that we are breathing, compress it, liquefy it, and then you are storing a big amount of energy into that compressed and liquefied air. So when you want the energy back, you gasify it again, and you just run a turbo generator. So it's, I would say technically pretty simple. Of course, getting it very high performance and, and well high returns is what Hydro has been working for more than 10 years. And, and well, I can tell you in 2018 was the launching, was the launching mode when I was joining, uh, taking a, a technology from demonstration. The company had had uh, a pilot, a demonstrator. Technology was super proven, partners were eager. The market was not there. Uh, but the market was not there because it needed to be taken from the shirt, brought down and, and show that this technology is the one resolving all the challenges that, well, I would say regulators, politicians are, were a bit stuck. What do we do? So, so long duration to your question, in Daniel, long duration energy storage, but not only storing energy. So giving all the services that coal, gas, diesel, uh, all fossil fuel power stations have been given. We give them in a storage manner uh, with a purely renewable asset, uh, but with all the mechanical characteristics of generators, turbines that uh, that the traditional technology has been given. So, so the missing piece of the puzzle, and, and we are in building mode. That's why we feel the we feel the unicorn is becoming large enough uh, that uh, that we probably need to get get uh, to another level than a unicorn. Yeah, that's very interesting. So basically, what you're saying is in the electrical grid, there needs to be balance at all points and all times. Okay, and so if you have too much generation of solar or wind because the sun's shining or the wind's blowing and is generating somewhere, you know, in a remote place or offshore, um, first of all, you need to get that energy to a place where it's the demand is, which is, let's say, a large city. Um, but, you know, if you are, as we are right now, taking away more and more of the hydrocarbon-based power generation, which is uh, coal and oil-fired power stations and so on, which generate electricity in a more steady manner. So on the one hand, you're taking away the steadier electricity production. On the other hand, you're increasing the amount of intermittent energy production, which is far away from where it might need to be used. You create this problem of lack of balance in the grid that uh, the energy is not being produced at the time and the space at the place where it's demanded. And so, you need either to be able to transmit that uh, over long distances um, and potentially build so much wind and solar that you don't even use some of it, but you have enough uh, for your peak capacity. That seems like an expensive approach. Or the other approach would be that you actually build in storage uh, at different points in the grid where there are vulnerabilities. And so you store the excess energy when the sun is shining uh, in the middle of the day and you may not need so much electricity. And then you you know, release it into the grid, um, you know, in the evening when there's maybe more need for heat and light. So 
But at the moment, we have things like battery storage, lithium ion, which are only storing energy for 30 minutes, one hour. But as more and more uh, intermittent energy comes onto the grid, you'll need to store larger amounts of energy for longer durations to uh, even out those peaks and troughs. And so this is where this longer duration storage becomes so important and will become increasingly important as there's more renewables energy coming online and more hydrocarbon based power generation coming offline. And I guess this is, you know, the thesis for long duration storage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I like I like that you mentioned lithium ion. I mean, as I was mentioning from my journey at Barcelona, I mean, we, we, we made Barcelona become, and it's still today, one of the top leaders globally in integration of lithium ion. Lithium ion is a amazing technology that has a huge uh, inertia and, and dynamism coming from the automobile industry, looking, of course, at the computer electronics, etc. Uh, we are, I mean, our technology, hybrid technologies, completely complementary. So I want to highlight that uh, that lithium ion is, is going to be able always to have very fast response, very modular approach. Uh, so we have our first projects in islands, uh, and I can say in, in Canary Islands, in, in in a big asset uh, owned by the local utility, we are installing a little battery. Uh, well, little, we call it, it's still huge. Uh, 30 minutes, uh, 50 megawatts. And then we are having 50 megawatts, multiple hours, up to 10 hours of our technology. So that uh, our technology is the one that is making sure 24 seven, you have backup. And the lithium ion is making sure that there is a cloud or there is a, or there is a need to ramp up very quickly you are really being able to have a very smooth transition. And, and well, this is an, I like to mention or highlight this example of an island, because we have islands everywhere, not only physical islands, but decentralized locations uh, like mines and, and industrial areas and, and small cities with a small grid. And many of these places are not only uh, relying on fossil fuel or hydrocarbons power generation, also is, is this, this generation is costing a huge amount of money. I mean, I'm thinking in, in these islands I mentioned, they are bringing diesel from the continental part, which costs a fortune. So, so you bring a storage asset, which is only served by electricity coming from renewables and air coming from the atmosphere, just normal air. And then you remove all the diesel logistics, all the diesel cost. So you don't only remove all the CO2 emissions, you also make a, well, I can say you make a lot of money with assets like this. And it's, and it's at the end, the market happens when the financial sense comes to place. And, and for that reason, I mean, we have most of our first projects are happening in, in very remote locations like islands, mines. And as I mentioned, the Canary Islands, I can mention Chile, Australia. And, and well, we can speak a bit more on, on big grids like UK or Spain, which are more related to what you just mentioned is absorbing all the excess of wind and solar that is being curtailed because the demand and the generation is not matching and then dispatching it later, uh, which I can tell you that lithium-ion does very well to the length that it has. Uh, one of the big differences of our technology is that it's a mechanical technology. You can empty the storage completely, fill it completely. You, you cannot do that with electrochemical. Electrochemical have other, other characteristics like speed and modularity, uh, but you cannot cycle it completely. If not, you would have degradation and, and reduction of capacity of storage. And that's 
That's one of the key points of this pump hydro in a box that we do at Hydro. Yeah. You men mentioned pumped hydro a couple of times. So when it comes to storing energy for longer periods, there are uh, existing approaches already uh, in place. The, the main one being pumped hydro, where you know you take excess electricity and you pump water you know, up uh, in elevation. And then when you need the energy, you let it run down, run a turbine and generate hydroelectricity, basically. Um, obviously, this is limited by where you could do that because you need, you know, um, a place with the right elevation and, and hydrological characteristics. There are all kinds of zoning issues and environmental issues for, for doing this kind of thing. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what does a typical high view plant look like? You know, how big is it? How much energy does it store? and why it gives you a much more flexible approach to longer duration storage versus you know, pumped hydro or some even longer duration alternatives like you know, storing hydrogen in caverns or compressing air in underground caverns. There are other technologies out there, but there's a sweet spot that uh, liquid compressed air energy storage seems to be occupying. Absolutely, absolutely, Daniel. I I like to highlight that as an engineering company, as a technology company, the company has taken all the strengths of pump hydro, all the strengths of compressing air or compressing or, or storing hydrogen or storing other gases in underground caverns and apply to our technology with the target of eliminating the limitations of those technologies. The biggest limitations of those technologies are the local, local locatability, sorry, uh, where to locate the plant. So it's something that is, you are able to, to place a high view plant wherever. It's all over the ground. There is no cavern on the ground. You don't need height. You just need the standard tanks that you can transport to the site or build on the site. You can size the plant according to the exact demand of that location and that node, which is something you never do with an underground cavern or or a pump hydro, you just fill the caverns or you just fill the valley of water. Uh, you don't have environmental constraints, that's pretty important. Uh, and, and I like to, to become a bit techy now that, uh, that when you compress there and becomes liquid, uh, the need of pressure is atmospheric pressure. So you don't need high pressure to keep the air liquefied. The air stays liquefied because it's in the tank, uh, the same as LNG in a tank or any other kind of gases in a tank. When you compress air, you need to have enormous amount of pressure. And that's why you need to look for very strong uh, and very, very, let's say, proven underground caverns that are going to be tight and are not going to have any leakage because of potential, potential hazards. So we don't have any hazard. Uh, we don't have any environmental a negative impact. We don't need water. We don't need any any specific uh, uh, hazard uh, protection measure. So for that reason, our plants are normally according to the necessity. But we have a, a very steep economy of scale for our plants, which means that the bigger we are, the lower is the cost, the relative cost per megawatt and the lower relative cost per megawatt hour. So our, our smaller plant is starting in 50 megawatts. 55.0 megawatts, and that's a very normal uh, utility scale size. So there are projects in the UK, projects in Chile, projects in Spain, projects in Australia, projects in the US that we are keeping that size. And then the duration, 
we are having the shortest duration is six hours, then eight hours, 16 hours. Uh, those are the sizes we are looking at now. And with a very important characteristic is that whatever duration you put, let's say six hours, you can become, you can enlarge it, you can modularize it and, and dimension it bigger next year, next decade, 20 years later. So we have a life cycle of 30 to 40 years uh, as, as a normal uh, mechanically uh, driven plant. So you can make it way larger. So in, in an absolute 50 megawatts, six hours, that means 300 megawatt hours, that's our smaller scale. So and, and we have models, I mean, we have modules that goes from 50 to 100, from 100 to 200. And then the duration goes from six hours to 16 hours. So I can tell you that the first applications, the first market launch applications we, we put in place in the last couple of years, uh, and I will come to them in a, in a second, they are, they are like 100 plants, if you look at the total market, and they are from that 50 megawatts to 100 megawatts, from eight hours to 16 hours. And these applications are islands, mines, uh, renewable developers, uh, and utilities, so in a way, congestion management. So, and, and for that reason, the bigger we become, the better. Uh, the thing is that the reality is that as we grow in integration of wind and solar, uh, the necessity of storage is coming up, it's coming up, and it's coming up. So, we have a total addressable market of, uh, and we look at the main consultancy companies and energy companies in the globe. Uh, we are sizing it as something like $16 billion, one six, $16 billion per annum by 2030. So it's a huge, huge market for energy storage at long duration. Yes, certainly is. And having that uh, flexibility and the modularity in your design is, is really important. So if you take the 50 megawatt, six hour small version, can you put it in sort of layman's terms for us? So is that the size of uh, like a local sort of supermarket, the one, you know, like a, a supermarket that is uh, more like a convenience store, but, um, you know, a little bit bigger? That is like a petrol station size. Is, is that the size we're talking about in terms of footprint? Yeah, I mean, it's... Of course, depends on what petrol stations we're talking about. If I take a normal UK size of a station, you could say something like a couple of petrol stations, that's uh, 300 megawatt hours. Uh, one of the key of our technologies is that we are very compact in design. So, so you can imagine the heat and the cold of the system are very well isolated and together. Uh, just to compare to lithium ion, I mean, so for a 100 megawatts plant, uh, of four hours, and I would say four hours because that's the maximum lithium-ion can do. Uh, we need half of the surface, half of the land than, than lithium-ion. But the bigger we go, the, the less the less space we need per per megawatt and megawatt hour. So in in square meters, ten thousand square meters for a three hundred megawatt hour, that's a pretty normal, tiny compared to other technologies. Uh, pretty much average for an LNG type of uh, industry. So for, for power generation industry, it looks like a small uh, power plant, a picking, a gas picking power plant, because at the end you have your, your storage, it's a tank of, of cryogenic gas, but the gas is air, which is mostly nitrogen and, and a bit of oxygen and argon, so which means it's totally inert, not explosive, not emitting any pollution. 
So it's, uh, it's the best of both worlds in, in a way. In yeah, and the engineering design is using um, equipment that's been used for decades, if not centuries. So it's basically turbines and you know compression, uh, sorry, liquid liquefied air storage tanks. The second of, of which the liquefied storage tanks are relatively cheap. So um, I think the interesting thing is yes, the turbine's expensive, but the liquefied storage tanks are relatively cheap. So scaling up how much energy you can store is relatively cheap. Um, and the scale comes with the, the, the size of the turbine. So I think that's very interesting when you compare it with batteries, because I guess when you need to store more energy, it goes more linearly. You just need more batteries. Whereas once you've compressed the air, storing it for a long period of time and a large amount of energy is, is pretty scalable in this approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we are, as I said, we are totally complementary to, to lithium-ion batteries and also quite opposed in terms of characteristics. So for us, the economies of scale mean that the bigger we go, the lower is the cost. And, and for batteries, it's quite the bigger they go, the cost just go linearly going up. Uh, so the battery cell is the, the most expensive part of a battery, of a lithium-ion battery, obviously. Well, for us, the battery cell, you could call it, is the tankages, the vessels where the liquid air is included, which is the lowest cost of the whole plant. So you have the compressors, you have the turbo generator, and then you have the tanks. And as you just said, you can double the tanks for a minimum increment. You could multiply by 10 the tanks, having, a, having instead of multiplying by 10 the total capex, you probably need to increase it by 20% only. So those kind of economies of scale. That's why we build the plants with certain amount of hours of storage, six, eight, 10 hours. But with the total knowledge that uh, when there is need for more storage, you just need to bring new tanks, get the connections in place, and you are doubling or increasing your energy storage. So the power storage remains the same, the megawatts, but the, the megawatt hour exponentially go up with a negligible increase of capex. If you're enjoying this episode of Impact Unicorns, don't forget to visit us on the Apple Podcast mobile app or iTunes and leave a rating and review. Your feedback is essential to help us bring the most relevant impact venture stories to the show. The video version of the show can be found on YouTube by searching under Impact Unicorns. Please like, subscribe and hit the bell to receive notifications of new shows. Now, you mentioned the 16 billion annual market by 2030. Uh, whenever people hear you know, market projections 10 years out, they maybe take it with a grain of salt, like, you know, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. But tell us about your pipeline, because I think this tells a, a very, you know, telling story about how real this is. Tell, tell us about the extent, the, the geographic reach uh, of your pipeline. And maybe coupled with that, it's probably useful for people to understand your business model, because to build such a huge pipeline, you're not necessarily developing everything yourself as a project developer, but you're acting as a, as a technology licensor. So that's, Absolutely. I think, an important uh, piece of the story. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things is that uh, even we take the, the total market with a pinch of salt, I can say that uh, it's a marginal portion of all the wind and solar de developments that are happening now, I mean, in 2021, two, 
20 serves. So that's very tangible. I mean, we, we as Hyview, we are partnering with the main wind and solar developers and, and energy companies. But you said it well, Linda, we are a technology company. We are a technology platform. And what we became is three years ago, we became a developer. We develop our pipeline with our own proprietary technology. It's all patented and protected. But looking at the size of the market and the total addressable market is so gigantic that if we would be only high view power developing the projects, we would be becoming a ballast for the for the materialization of the of the market and and the integration and the carbonization targets that the, most of the countries are having. So so we are a technology provider but also we provide license to to customers. I mean we have customers who are owning the asset and buying the license. We are supervising with them the construction of the plant, but we are not developing, we are not owners of the plant. Of course, we have the opposite model in which we are bringing our own equity and we are developing, we, we are model, we model the different grids, we, we model the different uh, ISOs in, in different locations, and we find where are the weakest spots where you can really monetize quickly in terms of storage. And I like to say storage and other services, ancillary services, like inertia, reactive power, voltage support. So all the things that you lose when you stop, you stop your gas pickers and you stop your hydrocarbons. So we bring our equity, we own the site, we build it together with an EPC. So we have different EPC agreements for different countries with the main major EPC companies in, in, the, in, in the industry. And well, we have, we have a pipeline, I could say, we have a pipeline of very tangible projects of uh, 16 projects, one six, uh, but frankly, we could have 100 projects if we would have the resources. The, the key here is that, that we want to be uh, very granular, very focused on the first applications of the market that can be monetized quickly. Places like England, Scotland, Ireland, then Spain, Spain being pretty important due to the huge uh, decarbonization or net zero targets that the country is having. The two archipelagos of islands, the Canary Islands and the Balearic, which are really services, locations, a lot of tourism there, and of course a need of uh, reducing the emissions, but of course a need of reducing the cost of running the system. So we come as, we come as the Swiss army knife that we provide all the things that uh, diesel and gas have been doing, but without a meeting and without a meeting. And, and something that we didn't mention, you, you mentioned well in Daniel, that all the components we have are really well-known components of the shelf, you can say from the portfolio of engineering OEMs, uh, like the Germans, the Americans, the Japanese, uh, not to say names of companies, but also the supply chain is pretty local. I mean, it's all the gas handling, air handling, uh, power generation OEMs, so welding, pipes, uh, compressors, uh, pumps, heat exchangers, that's pretty local from the oil and gas heritage of most of the countries. So I mentioned some geographies in Europe, then we have Chile as, a, as an enormous opportunity, especially going to the north from Atacama to the mining sites. Then we have California, which is definitely setting the pace in the States, but we have also places like New England and, and and then and the wind corridor of the US for obvious reasons. So big wind generation in one location, maybe 2000 miles from the demand side. So on the transmission line is the solution or a big storage asset or long duration storage asset that you can absorb the constraint and deliver the constraint when the wind is not coming. And, and again, we are delivering the energy 
with all the synchronous uh, generation capabilities of a thermal power plant, which already eliminates uh, eliminates the total any need of uh, of gas fired or, or thermal power plants. And we have other markets like Australia. I like to highlight Australia is definitely one of our key markets. Hybrid power is very present there. And uh, of course, uh, I, I cannot forget to mention that our biggest investor into the company is a Japanese uh, big company called Sumitomo, Sumitomo Heavy Industries, and Sumitomo Foster Wheeler, which is already developing projects with our technology as a licensee. So we are the, we are the technology provider. They are, in a way, the developer in places like Japan, uh, which is the home turf, and, and standing in locations like India, and uh, well, interesting islands like Cyprus now. You mentioned, uh, you know, the US and Japan. I mean, obviously, these are two extraordinarily large markets. Um, in, in addition to the European countries you mentioned, like UK and Spain, which are at the forefront of, you know, renewable energy penetration, as well as decommissioning, um, you know, fossil fuel generation. Yeah, are the U.S. and Japan also large markets potentially in your view? Because they're more than just archipelagos and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, remote islands. I, I I can tell you. I mean, and, and I like to highlight that the remote islands. It looks like there are few remote islands, but the the need is gigantic. I mean, we could start talking about uh, Hawaii, Guam, but also Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. Uh, I mentioned Cyprus, Mauritius. Uh, uh, all the Canary Islands uh, and Balearic. So it's, it's, it's a lot there. Uh, but that is also applicable to all the mines, the mines in Chile, Australia, also South Africa, I didn't, I didn't mention. We have a big, uh, big work going on there, uh, looking at mines with, with the main mining companies. But definitely, I can say, state loudly that US is, is going to be, it's not yet, it's going to be the largest market by far. And it's all due to penetration, integration of wind and solar. And especially the decarbonization targets. So places like California, there is no way that they can build, they can build politically anymore a hydrocarbon power plant for backing up. Uh, there is no way that transmission can resolve. So we are definitely a clear solution. But places like very oil and gas meccas like uh, Texas. I mean, uh, Texas, we all know the event from a couple of months ago uh, that was 71 almost three days, 71 hours of uh, blackout in, in Texas with this cold wave, etc. So, and, and I can tell you that technologies, mechanically driven technologies like ours, are not sensible to hot temperatures or cold temperatures. I mean, we are, we are, we are building on the heritage of oil and gas, so we can be built in north of Canada, in Lapland, we can be built in Middle East, we can be built in, in Atacama Desert, in Mojave Desert, and, and that's that's what makes us different. And you know, all these electrochemical, other technologies, they are very sensible to temperatures like we are not. So definitely US is, and I, as you notice, I didn't mention Japan yet. Uh, Japan is gonna be a market, but it's gonna come later. It's gonna come later. Japan is, Japan is a bit of uh, one of a kind uh, type of market, but well, having a, having a strategic partner like Sumitomo, uh, being a shareholder of Highview, one of the, biggest uh, shareholders at Highview is going to make sure that the market for energy storage happens at, at pace. I think uh, one of the interesting things I find about Highview and in the context of an impact unicorn is that so much seems to happen 
at a critical inflection point. So the company has been around for a while, actually. I think it's 15 years. So developing its technology, doing its uh, demonstrator and so on. But there comes a point, and it seems to have coincided you know, maybe with your arrival as well right, in 2018, where you go from a lot of development uh, and probably customers not you know, understanding at some point there'll be a need, but not really buying in. Have, there's no pressure or regulatory pressure or even market pressure to, to adopt the technology. So suddenly there's regulatory pressure with net zero targets coming in. There's the, the grids realizing that they need long duration storage for stability and it's gonna, a problem that's only going to get worse. Um, the technology comes of age, it goes through a demonstration, you're able to raise a large slug of capital with and get partners like Sumitomo, you're able to bring in um, a larger team of you know, highly experienced senior professionals like yourself and the team that you've built. I mean, this is an enormous amount of stuff that happens in this sort of two or three year period um, when the rocket gets off the launch pad. Um, okay. yeah, tell us, um, you know, in your view, what are some of the critical milestones, the critical proof points that allow you to move from one stone to the next as you cross this sort of river uh, at this inflection point? Because that's such a critical period. And a lot of people spend a time thinking about, well, how can we get to that inflection point faster? Or how can we get through that inflection point more smoothly and raise enough capital to you know, uh, stay on, the, on that trajectory? Tell me a little bit about your experience and since 2018 and how you've been managing this process. That's, that's a wonderful one, in Daniel. I mean, I, I can tell you really very much uh, chronologic way. I mean, so what happened step by step. Definitely the key, the first one was to, to get the right team. I mean, uh, the company has been working for more than 10 years now, almost 15 years, working on the technology. So having the right technology, the right solution, or solution that really is going to fit the demand is, is fundamental, but uh, frankly, with my arrival, what we were starting to focus after understanding what the technology needed to be that one deployable uh, in a commercial way and in a modular way is to get the right team in place, to get the right skills in place, the right uh, capabilities, level of ambition, uh, setting the vision and setting also the passion and reputation. I will stress reputation, reputation, reputation. So it's uh, because I would, I could say like, I mean, most of the greatest speakers, uh, they always say three things. Eh? So I will try to say technology, team and market. I mean, I think that's uh, definitely the key. I can tell you this is like chicken and egg and every, everybody's chicken and egg in this tree. So, so without the technology, the team and the market is, uh, team is, Probably is not going to come. The market is not going to need you. And without the market, you can have the right technology and the right team. But this, uh, who who cares if not, no market? And and without the team, you might have the great, the greatest technology, and the market is looking for you. But who's gonna who's gonna put it in front and who's gonna make it happen? So those three: technology, team, and market. And and well, I could give you examples. You already mentioned. Thank you for that, Daniel. But amazing, amazing folks that have been joining Highview in the last three years from the top companies. Uh, from, but uh, more than the top companies, I like to say that the best or the most uh, leadership capable people in those companies are the ones who are really making things happen. Not really being part of the success, but 
heading and leading that success, we were able to attract them into Highview. Uh, we were able also to get the technology to a modular state because I have to say technology for an engineer is, is, is heaven, is, is a candy store, it's so beautiful and it's so flexible, but you need to get something that you can deliver quickly. In a, you need to have something very basic, like a minimum spec, as uh, they we call it, and then start to get if people want gadgets, they need to get gadgets, but they need to pay for the additional gadgets and, and getting the market to happen. I mean, and the, the market to happen is to be able to, to understand what the market situation is. And, and foc I, I'm saying every day in, in our team, I'm saying always focus, 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 because we really could be chasing projects in more than 100 countries, but we need to focus in those countries that are really relevant in the coming one to five years. Something that happened after 2025, I can tell you, Daniel, I could not care less. I mean, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna come, it's gonna come, and it will happen, and and it will be great. But I'm not gonna spend one single second in in thinking about that. So let's let's thinking who can make a lot of money already today by having this type of technology in place. So and what other alternatives do they have? And what do we need to make them understand it, model it? be credible so getting getting partners like uh, well, like uh, mckinsey or dmb or third parties who really validate all the business model all the all the learning curves all the delivery mode and and well that's that's definitely the the way to make it is uh, again technology team market it, it looks like the chronological way in which i was following i i can i can tell that all the customers we are developing projects with somebody of the team has developed projects with them in the past with probably with different technologies with gas or or with uh, batteries or with wind uh, so it's the energy market is is a small village uh, we might be thousands of people but we're always the same thousands of people and, and and finally somebody comes okay i have the solution for all these villages and uh, and, I, and the whole people in the village is looking at you and well they, they know okay we, we know these people delivered and these people were there and and they made it happen they didn't come and leave so they they were really delivering to the promise and that's that's fundamental both in the technology and the team part because then the market happens i think that's a really important point that you mentioned because as we've said at the beginning of the show what gives people like yourself the audacity to try to change uh, the entire industry and have a huge you know, impact globally, which clearly long duration storage is going to be an important um, solution for the world, you know, in your form that you're doing at Highview, perhaps in other forms, but it, it is a solution that's necessary. But what you're saying is actually when it comes to, you know, the critical people in an industry uh, or decision-making you know, even in a, in a national setting to, to make change happen in, in, in an industry like energy, it's a small tribal village. And so it's not like you necessarily have to change the view of millions of people or billions of people. You have to have a relationship network within that relevant community. And once you convert that community, the rest tends to follow. Uh, one of the things that tends to follow is the capital. Um, and so I think that's a really important insight for people listening is that whenever you're trying to revolutionize everything, you know, like any revolution, um, you don't have to convince everyone at the beginning. You have to convince the, the critical people 
get that critical mass and then it sort of mushrooms from there. And the people that you've been able to attract to Hiveview have been a critical part of building those tentacles into the rest of the industry to, to get adoption. Now, <clears throat> seems to be that capital is flowing. So tell us a little bit about uh, your capital attraction uh, story and plan. I mean, you, you, you raised a lot of money last year, you're looking for another raise this year. So uh, how's that all going? Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks for those words uh, in Daniel. Indeed, I, I tell you the the company, as we mentioned before, is, is getting into the 16th anniversary of existence. So you can imagine the first 10 years, a lot of development and on technology, etc. A lot of support from the government of the UK. Uh, now I think we can be proud that we took that technology way beyond the UK globally. But if you look at the last year and a half, and it's a bit matching the, the time of the pandemic. I mean, the company has raised on the north of $80 million in, in the company of, of growth capital, which is, uh, which is well, it's probably two-thirds of all the capital that the company has raised in all its history. So, so it, it really echoes what you just said. So, I mean, it is really happening. I like to say that the market is there. So we got the technology, we got the team, the market is there. And the market is, is super gigantic. So, so that is bringing us uh, to the market in, in, the, in the last quarter of this year. So we are coming in, in a few weeks from now. We'll come to the market for the biggest capital raise, of course, of the, of the company. So we're, we're going for several hundred millions, uh, probably around 300 million pounds in raise uh, capital into the company to be able to, to support the enormous demand that this platform is having. So we're bringing that capital into the different pockets of project development that we're having. Because as you can imagine, I was mentioning 16 projects. I mean, we could we could go for capital raise project by project and also analyze which project needs more, which needs less, which is... A, so for a company like us, for a technology platform like us, that would be extremely counterproductive. So we need to make sure that the, the platform is able, high view is able to to multiply and exponentially multiply the impact into the market. So the more markets we can enter, the more business cases we can demonstrate and, and start making money for the customers because all the customers we're having are pretty global. I mean, you were talking about the tribe and we have a very tribal industry in energy, but I mean, at the end, same companies are doing projects in Chile, in California, in Spain, in Philippines, same company. You say, oh my God, so this is, so if you start to get players with them in an island, definitely they're gonna have in many other non-island non -island places. So, so we're coming to this 300 million pounds, uh, it's, it's gonna be the, the minimum start that we are coming, but you can imagine that again, uh, majority of the capital that the company has ever raised, in this case again, probably more than two thirds of, of the capital. and. I want to highlight, this is an exponential growth story with an enormous multi multiple. I mean, the, if I see where we were three years ago to now, it's majestic. So we're already riding a unicorn and it's pretty large unicorn of more than one head, if I go a bit mythological. Uh, and, and well, we are seeking to, to make it a way, way bigger, and probably a fleet of unicorns uh, coming out of this, of this high view story. A great note to end on. Thank you for that uh, uh, amazing uh, you know, recap of what you've been doing at Highview. Thank you for telling us a little bit about your own uh, journey. 
This has been a, a terrific episode, and I think a lot of a lot for our listeners to to reflect upon. So, Javier, thanks so much. Uh, all the best with your capital raise and in your uh, pipeline development and your projects. And uh, hopefully, we'll catch up in you know a few months, a year, and see how you're getting along again. Fantastic. Let's do so. Thanks, Daniel, and thank you, everybody. All the best. Stay safe. If you've enjoyed this episode of Impact Unicorns, don't forget to rate and review this show by scrolling down and clicking Rate This Podcast. And join me next week as I talk to more inspirational entrepreneurs building the next generation of transformative companies. Thank you.